0: And so it is vital that churches have a strong student ministry. It's vital that a ministry like this exists because students don't have that and they are at that place in their life. And so, man, what a high calling, a high calling. Mm -hmm. And it should be taken with such seriousness of study, not just of expositing or exegeting the text to get it right, but exegete your students. Know what's going on in their life so you know where to disciple them, how to disciple them.
1: Welcome to No Sanity Required from the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe.
2: Let's go back to that, Zach. <clears throat> give, what is that quote? Um,
1: yes, Zach Carter, who's now a pastor in Alabama, said that the problem with youth ministry is that we have less than JV equipping students in the most important time of their life.
2: That's an indictment. It is because you think
1: so much of who you are, you're forming during. I mean, that's why we call it the formative years, right? And so, yeah, we have so many student pastors who they're only able to bring students to the depth of understanding of Scripture that they themselves have, but they're not committing. Um, they're not committing themselves to the study of Scripture, to understanding the wider world of theology, and finding a way to take all of that. And disciple students, they're just they're not committed to it.
3: And what's crazy is that this is the millstone category that we're dealing with. Exactly. Not only is it the most formative years of their lives, but this is the if you lead away one of these little ones. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's a category that is so crucial for their own lives, but also some of the most strong warnings against misleading, misguided, this Age group. Um, I mean, it's it's so sobering. Yeah,
0: you know, a, a guy who I respect a lot, but a guy like Vody Bakum again, who I, I think is awesome, but he would, you know, he'd talk so much about how well this is really the parent. That's the parent's job, <clears throat> which I agree. Like as a parent, like absolutely, that's my primary responsibility with my kids. But we know being in youth ministry yeah. for, I mean, we got whatever. Decades upon decades between us that so few students who walk through these doors or walk into a youth group on Wednesday night have that at home. That's not, that's not an option for that student. And so it is vital that churches have a strong student ministry. It's vital that a ministry like this exists because students don't have that and they are at that place in their life. And so, man, what a high calling, a high calling. Mm-hmm. And it should be taken with such seriousness of study not just of expositing or exegeting the text to get it right, but exegete your students, know what's going on yeah. in their life, so you know where to disciple them, how to disciple them.
1: Yeah, and I think that there are, um, there are churches who are really doing it well. There are churches that when they, when they hire, when they hire a student pastor, they realize this is a pastor. We're having, this is our pastor whose focus is on students, and there are, there are student pastors who are doing it well, who are, who are studying, who, who, who know the word, they know their students, and they're drawing the connection between the two. And it's those guys that you see, they're also really investing in parents as well and trying to come alongside of parents and help them disciple their students.
2: Yeah, and a lot of the, like if you think about in a normal year, the student pastors that bring students to Snowbird, or we tend to partner with and draw those guys in. Right. That the reason they're bringing their students here is because there's theological integrity, there's doctrinal focus, there's a serious weight behind the preaching. And so that, a lot of those guys have had those experiences where, let, let me share a, an experience that I think i probably shared with most of you guys. In fact, I think maybe Zach and Spencer were were there for this, but we were, we were asked years ago to come bring some of our staff and be uh, counselors. At maybe were, we're all of us at this. Uh, counselors at an event, and it was an event where I won't name the team. There's a bunch of these teams that do this, right. but where they do feats of strength. So it's like they break baseball bats and they curl up frying pans and they rip phone books. It's awesome. I think that's super cool. cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Um, But what they do is the most important moment of the night rolls around, which is when it's time to handle the word of God. You've got a captive audience of students who have just watched a guy, you know, break two by fours. And, you know, one dude I remember ripped, he was ripping Coke cans in half, just going pop, you know, and it was, it was awesome. I was like loving it, you know. And, again, there's a bunch of these teams. I would not name these guys. I don't even, they probably don't even exist anymore. It's fi- I can't imagine that they do. It's 15 years ago. Um, but, but two things stood out to me when I realized that was in the early formative years of Snowbird. That was within our first seven or eight years of ministry. Probably within our first seven years of ministry. And I realized two things. One, these guys, when we went to meet with them on the front end, of the event they said at the end and they mapped out what the invitation was going to look like. And they said, when these students come forward, they will already be good. We'll have they'll, made sure they'll of that. already be saved. They'll already be saved. We'll have made sure of that. And we don't, we're not going to have a lot of time. We just need you guys to get their name and to check this. You know, there were two or three boxes you could check on the card. Y'all remember this? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: And Bethany Clark, who had a, her background before she came to Swo was in student, was in children 's ministry and she had had been so the reason she was drawn to this ministry was her heart for for discipling young people well and I remember she was livid and she spoke out, and what we explained to those guys is this is the equivalent of this is manipulative and no more than we would stand for physical abuse of children, no more than we would stand for. Emotional abuse of children no more than we would stand for sexual abuse of children we refuse to stand for the spiritual manipulation because it's abuse yep. during the this is th- these are millstone yep. categories right. and issues we're not going to get students here who are hyped up on energy because they've just seen a phenomenal s- display of strength in a show then like pamper that with a little bit of Bible and then a very enthusiastic manipulative person who's a good like charismatic communicator convinced them to come forward and even the way that that they ended up handling that it was kind of like every kid came forward and said the prayer yeah yeah. and but here here's what was telling when that was over those guys came to snowbird for the day the next day to do a, a day of we were supposed to sort of host them for a day of recreation and i'm not being judgmental I'm simply saying that that the four of them that were part of that team, it was impossible to get into theological or ministry-based conversation with them. They, they, there, was a, there was no depth. There was a shallowness. And the more I interacted with those guys, the more I realized these guys are here because of their personalities, they're charismatic, they're strong, They're like physically strong. And we have to be committed to the integrity of student ministry. And we need our our... Like I know that at our church, the church that we're all a part of, Red Oak Church, our focus for our student pastor is his theological education right now and his personal mentorship and discipleship. As he invests in students, we're investing in in that couple, he and his wife, and we're investing in their theological training. There has to be an emphasis placed on the theological responsibility that a student pastor has in the formative years of the people that he's shepherding which means he has to be seen as a pastor he is a shepherd in the biblical sense of the word he has to meet the qualifications the only the only qualification that might be a little different it's not different it's just at a, at a different place is his the seasoning with which he's had as a believer like like maybe a young man is ready to lead students under the guidance of of older pastors that we would not say he's ready to lead in the local church as as a lead pastor or something like that. But he still needs to meet all of the qualifications yeah. of a pastor. He needs to have a desire to be a pastor. He needs to have shown that he can manage his household well. He needs to be, and that's where I think uh, even like weighing out the the responsibility he has to lead his home well. We see a lot of student pastors come through here who are single. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not, acceptable or okay, but just the qualifications of that student pastor have to be the same qualifications that are laid out in scripture for a pastor, for an overseer. He's an overseer of these students. And then out of that, he needs to be looking at how he partners with the family. Um, We listened to a a podcast this week uh, where the, the emphasis was on God. When you open the scripture, there are three governments ordained by God. There's the, the government of the country or the land or the society. There's the government of the church, and there's the government of the home, of the family. And a student pastor needs to understand his role in the lives of those students in the local church. He needs to understand that the families have to be, like it is our job to, what Bodie Balcom say in family-integrated ministry, sounds awesome, and I agree with it. That's right. It's just not always practically. Mm-hmm. Executed, you, like how do you do it? You, we know the, the students that we deal with on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis come out of dysfunction. Right. It's a reflection on our society. And so uh, student ministry, we believe, has a vital role in the function and operation of the local church Absolutely. and the discipling yeah. of young people.
3: Yeah, because how many... If you look out at your church, how many families do you have in your church that you think the parents are not only invested in their kids, but doing it right, theologically, uh, explaining things to their kids, discipling their kids, 5%, 10%. I mean, in a really solid church, 10%. So you're looking at 90% of the kids in your church are not being adequately discipled by their parents. And so, I mean, the youth pastor has such a heavy job not just to uphold the um, moral qualifications and leadership qualifications of an elder, but also the able-to-teach part, mm-hmm. that he needs to be able to accurately and rightly handle and divide the word of truth to this, that that might be the only word of truth that this little subcategory gets in, mm-hmm. in the church. Right. That's right.
1: Yeah, and I think you talked about it earlier, too. Like some, A lot of the student pastors that pastor with this ministry, they really are doing it right, and they see what their week of camp as part of discipleship for their, their year-long discipleship with their students. And it, and a lot of it is because, you know, we we have learned from our background. And I think, you know, especially like the situation you're talking about where they had this big open invitation where the guy got up there and said, all right, if you want to be saved right now, you pray this prayer with me. And then as soon as that happened, you're saved. And you were encouraging kids to put their eternal security and on that moment that they're having right then, without having it explained to them, without talking through it, and, you know, and a lot of camps do that same thing. With a lot of camps, you you know, the first couple nights, it's fun to be a Christian. Being a Christian is cool. And then you have that where you drop the hammer and you get everyone to doubt their salvation so that you can swoop in, get them to pray a prayer, and then they can, put, they can seal their, their eternity on that one moment. And that is, that is the opposite of what we want to do. We want to we want to make sure that from the first night to the last night that we are preaching the gospel and that our response to the gospel is always to repent and believe and then to follow that up not only from a uh, from the sermon but then in small groups later okay let's talk about this so that when when a kid like decides to follow Jesus right that confesses repents and believes in Jesus it's not they're not hanging their hat on this emotional experience they had but being walked through the gospel and called to and, and called to
2: respond that's good yeah uh, yeah which and and I just had a thought while you were laying that out how many of us have had kids come to us and I'm 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 jumping into another category for a second maybe these were high school students maybe they're interns and they say I'm in love with this person and I want to marry him and oh, yeah. we say something like you're still, there's a lot going on in your life right now, chemically. You know, like, <laughs> like, like I, don't trust, as a 16-year-old, don't trust yourself right now that you want to be married to this person when you're 50 and 60 right. and 70, okay? So some decisions, you're not in a position in life to make that decision, okay? Yet, in many student ministry circles, we will manipulate and convince a kid to make a decision of something that has eternal implications that could concrete and seal them into a false sense of salvation and security where what I think what we do at Snowbird that we've always been so committed to is we believe that Jesus is the author of salvation and the author of faith. And so if Jesus saves a person, regardless of if that person is five or 15 or 60, if he's the one doing that work, the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against him doing that work. If if he has... If he has determined right, to save right. that person, he's going to save them. And if he saves them at Snowbird, we want them to understand that their salvation rests right. on what the, the God of creation has done in that moment. Not on, did I say the prayer right? Did I walk the aisle right? not. And, and what happens is kids that are in those manipulative type situations, the next year when they come back, they have to get saved again. I air quote that because there's no such thing as getting saved again. Right. If Christ is the author, he's the one who will finish it. One of the things that, that Hank Parker and I will talk about, he's, he's one of the directors here, one of the executive guys here at camp, and he's a board member, is you'll often talk to a, a pastor who will, who will be curious about the number of decisions. We've all had this. How many decisions did you have this year? And there's an infant, when there's an emphasis placed on numerical decisions, and I'm not taking away numbers. I know that the Bible uses numbers or a book named Numbers, okay? Like, <laughs> that's true. Like, okay, I get it. Numbers and, are souls, right. Right, and, and, and in the book of Acts, there's a, there are yep. numbers yep. given to, but that is descriptive of a moment in time and a story that's happening, and sometimes we'll have those situations. But when you reverse to where your whole ministry is driven numerically, so that I'll have a pastor say, how many decisions did you have this year? And it's like, man, I don't know even how to answer that because the Lord knows what he's doing in the heart of every person. And if a student sits under the preaching of the word of God, they've got to decide in one sense what they're going to do with that, even if they're a believer. And so what they're asking is how many people went from death to life? How many people became believers? And we believe like, there's, there's such a belief and an emphasis at Snowbird in our, in our programs at Swo that if we preach faithfully and minister faithfully the lord will do the work of saving souls. Yes. And if the gospel is always central and preeminent in everything that we do, then I don't have to stand here and browbeat kids and manipulate Or and sales
3: pitch them. Sales
2: pitch them, yeah. them, play one more emotional round of a of a song. Like what are you doing for that. you? This is for there's somebody still holding out. and, and I, we've all seen it. An evangelist stands there and begs and pleads there's somebody holding out. There's one more. There's one more. It's like we believe that if the authority of the Word of God is held forth, if the Word of God is held forth and preached and handled properly, that in the authority with which God wrote these words, that He will that yep. He will speak to the hearts yeah. of students yeah. and draw them to Himself. And now we're not asking them to make a life-altering decision like who you're going to marry. We're saying submit to the God of the universe today and submit to Him forever. Yeah. Moment by moment, the rest of my life. It's a, it's a succession of moments of submission to Christ. The moments when I don't submit and I walk in the flesh, they're repercussions. But if that student is saved authoritatively by the God who authors salvation while they're at camp on a Thursday afternoon or on a, yeah. on a Wednesday night or on a Friday morning, it doesn't really matter. If they meet here, the God of the universe in a saving way, then it's forever. And now, what we want to do is we want to have a ministry that is a ministry of assurance, not doubt. Those ministries, like we talked about earlier, they work off of doubt. They create and stir feelings of doubt so that students can, here we go, the air quotes again, nail it down. Nail it down and talk about something that's not in the Bible. That phrase ain't in the Bible. You need to nail it down. It's not in there. These things I've written so that you can know that you have eternal life. Our job as ministers of the gospel is, is to disciple, and in that in that discipleship, to point people towards Jesus, so that they have assurance, because their assurance rests yep. on the work that Jesus is that's doing. That's right. And that's, that's the good. that's the hard work, because the easy
3: work is manipulating a thirteen year old. Right. That is that is easy work, but is damned. it is. It is um, there's such warnings mm-hmm. against that, and, and I think the harder work is to dispel the emotion that's already kind of living in a 13-year-old who's getting hyped, by, but to be able to, from the Word, be able to accurately kind of discern what's going on in this kid's heart. Mm -hmm. Are they submitting to Christ and how does that play out intellectually? How does that play out in their actions? And I think that's the harder work that, you know, when you think about the question is why do youth groups or why do youth camps have a bad reputation is because not all, but a slice of youth camps and youth ministries only do the easy and damnable work of manipulating kids instead of the hard work. You know, know, camps are – Campy is an adjective for a reason. It's cheesy. It's you know, it's kiddish. It's not a place that theologians are drawn to, you know. But you know, the the hard work that we're trying to do here is to not manipulate and easily manipulate a kid, but to uh, you know, shine light on why are you feeling the way you're feeling, and what does the Holy Spirit say about that? What does the Word say about that in a non-emotional way?
2: We trust the Word of God. Uh, something Spencer just said reminded me of a story, Zach when you're in seminary, and I don't remember the context, you'll remember what I'm talking about, and people, it was like people were in shock that you were getting your Master of Divinity from a reputable seminary in the middle of your camp ministry career so that you could just continue to be better at doing what we do at camp. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it, I mean, no, it was I,
1: all the time. Like, I would, people would see you, and they're like, oh, so, you know, you want to pastor? And I'm like, oh, no, no. And they're like, oh, what, what, do, you, what do you want to do? And like, student pastor? No, no. And they're like, I said, "Well, I'm, we're, I'm in camp ministry," and they're like, "Oh, you want to start your own camp?" And I'm, "Nope, I just, I just want to do. I want to be a part of the ministry of in. I love the leadership of the ministry I'm men. I just want to go back and do that same thing." And then people are just like baffled. They're like, "Wait, hmm. so you're you're getting a, a degree to go back and do the same job you had beforehand?" And I'm like, "That's yeah. Just I want to do it better. That's the plan." Yeah. And People, they're confused by
2: that. They're very confused. And I, I mean, the integrity, One of the, that's one of the things I point to a lot of times when I'm talking to people is bringing your students to Snowbird over the course of four years, if it's just high school, over the course of potentially seven years, depending on when you start letting them come and when they can't come anymore, potentially seven years where they're going to see the same people teaching and preaching and where they're... I, this is this is something I point guys to often is that the collective higher education of our teaching team we take it serious I mean every one of you guys has master 's degrees in theology in preaching in, mini, in in ministry like in ministry platforms where when i 'm talking to someone that 's something that I like to point them to because it, it speaks to the integrity of of what we 're talking about the seriousness of with which we take student ministry it's very important to, to understand that. And, uh, but yeah, I I think people sort of expect that if you're in camp ministry, it's either seasonal while you're in your twenties. Yep. Um, and none of you are in your twenties
0: twice now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Twenties. I'm I'm approaching a half a century of life. You know,
2: we're doing student ministry. We're doing what we, what, what God's called us to do and we're doing it with integrity and, uh, and so I think, um, I think that when it comes to addressing those stereotypes, use the word cheesy or campy, that's, that's it, man. We, and we, we all agree with that yeah, right. outside of snowbird. I'm not hating on anybody, um, but outside of snowbird, that's and, and I'm not going to get into this here. Um, there's actually a podcast that, that we've done that talks about this and it's in the, the, the introduction and the first chapter of the book that we're writing right now addresses that like how Snowbird started was what if we started a camp that did for students what a really faithful teaching conference does for pastors and, and lay leaders you know like you think about going to a really good teaching conference um what if students could come to something like that only instead of having free time in the afternoons we we structured that where they had an incredible relational uh, relational and recreational experiences and so a lot of the you know, what is what is the old innovative uh, quote about industry? Um, invention is, uh, you know, what's the mother of all invention? Necessity. necessity. Necessity is the mother of all invention. Sorry, I, I couldn't get it. So nece- if necessity is the mother of all invention, that fits yep. Snowbird. Right. We looked around, said we love what camp offers. The, the platform, the potential for ministry through camp is incredible. But nobody's, nobody's doing this the way we feel like biblically it should be done. So we started a camp.
1: Yeah, and I think also for student pastors, they need to, like, we, we're we empathetic with student pastors because, you know, we see uh, camp ministry is often thrown off as not serious, and we're fighting against that stereotype. And faithful student pastors are going to have to fight against that stereotype also. And the only way they're going to do that is to pour themselves into Scripture, you know, to, to make sure that they're taking students and actually— being a a catalyst for their discipleship. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.